0: Elite Physique University, your source for all things physique enhancement. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Elite Physique University. I'm John Gorman, your host. We are back with part two of our discussion on some of the best things we've learned over the years as coaches. We've got Uh, Cliff and Pete back and this is just a continuation on so if you're tuning in for the first time go back and listen to episode 48 I believe this should be episode 49 part two guys we're just going to jump right back in to where we left off Um, Pete we're going to go ahead and throw this back to you um, since you started off the last show what's another good learning point that you want to pass on to trainers and athletes and other coaches out there
1: Yeah. I think um, something that I've done a lot more of in recent years than what I used to do um, is paying attention to kind of learning what's going on in a client's life. Like, you know, what's their sleep patterns like? Do they have like stressful events? Are they, you know, working 60 hours a week? You know, what, what's going on? And so um, I know Cliff, Cliff approaches check-ins kind of the same way I do where you don't have a form. Like I used to have clients way back fill out forms and they would just like punch in data and you would just look at the data and make adjustments, but you didn't really learn anything. And so, um, you know, I make clients like actually type me a message and like, tell me like what's going on here, you know, and obviously, yeah, the data matters. So where have your weights been, you know, is strength generally going up, down, you know, and you know, how are you feeling, but you know, but all, you know, like what else is going on, any questions, any issues. Um, and you know, sometimes the updates are short because there isn't much going on. Things are good, but other times there are. And so, I think oftentimes learning those type of things can help when you're making decisions, um, especially late in prep. Like if you know someone's really, really struggling, um, like knowing that can be really, really helpful. Um, you know, or if they're feeling fine or willing to push through, whatever. You know, like just knowing stuff that's going on can be really helpful when making decisions as a coach versus just looking at the numbers.
0: Yeah, you yeah. know I think that's important, um, especially I like I'm the same way. I like to gather s- some data, but I'm usually trying to grab some of that stuff. When I see something's not really going the way I like, like if I'm looking at their weight tracker and a female stuck at 132 and it's been two weeks now and she's in prep, I'm going to start to ask those questions. You know, I'm going to ask what her sleep's like, what her stress is like what are digestions like? Are you backed up? Are you not going to the bathroom? And that really lets us kind of tease out what's going on and kind of like take it and analyze it and fix the problem. And either, you know, we drop calories, add cardio if that's needed, or we get them back on track. And, you know, you said, find out what's going on in people's lives. I don't want people to think like, especially people like us, you know, we've got a heavy, heavy client base. Jason's the same way you can't go in and know everyone's personal details, but you can ask about like life stressors. And you know, I, Cliff, I know you do a really good job as well at really getting to know your clients. You spend a lot of time with them. Your emails are very, very thorough. You're not just a, a one sentence reply guy once a week. You're well known for taking care of your clients. Pete, you're the same way. Um, kind of talk on that a little bit, Cliff, and, and what, what you think of uh, Pete's point there.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, Pete, that's a great point. And it's kind of timely actually, because I, I actually did finish up writing my newest book recently. And, um, as I was writing the preface for it, I went back and wrote the preface and like kind of talking about the, the process of creating a book. And, um, in the preface, I kind of talked about how when I first started coaching, um, I was like, I've got these really effective diet and training programs. Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to get this going. And then I found that I would give them to some people and they would just run with it and kill it. And I give to other people and they couldn't stay on plan, uh, for various reasons, or, you know, couldn't progress as fast as the other people. And, um, I started, you know, it's funny that, you know, Pete, I I think we've talked about this before. Pete and I have talked about most things at this stage, (laughs) but, uh, I did have spreadsheets for people to fill out. Um, but I've, so I started at and they would fill out the spreadsheet and stuff like that, but I started asking them questions. And I started to notice commonalities in the answers between people that are progressing and, those, and sticking with the plan and those that aren't progressing and sticking with the plan. Um, and when I say commonalities, I mean things in terms of not just, you know, and how their lifestyle is set up. That's a commonality. Also a commonality is like how they view the the entire world around them is a commonality. And so, um, I was like, oh dang, I need to learn more because I, I, you know, I know Pete's kind of similar to this. I'm somebody who, um, consistency and motivation and things like that tend, tend to come very easy for me. And so, um, I didn't understand what the differences were. And so, Honestly, I started a huge process of learning psychology and developing a philosophy on how to approach life to be successful. And so now I get my clients talking to me. Um, I don't want them spilling, filling out a spreadsheet. In fact, if clients start sending me a spreadsheet they made themselves, I'm like, don't send me that. Tell me about your week, because I can I can get certain things from from their their write-up. Um, I don't know about you guys but i can even tell a lot now about a way from a way a person types
0: yep um exclamation I mean, points everywhere
2: yeah exclamation <laughs> points um some lot of like short short abbreviations and and yes yeah you can tell a lot honestly i can tell more about a, how a person's doing sometimes through reading their emails than i can talking to them because in talking to them sometimes they can mask things you know fake smiles stuff like that um it's almost easier through text for me um and so uh so you know some of it is life circumstance some of it is approach to the to the world around them and so um man it is it's night and day you know and sometimes you can get a sense when something's not right with a person i'll just say you know i'll ask them how are, you know, how are things at home, you know, how, how, how's your family doing, you know, and they can tell me as much or as little as they want in that situation. It's up to them. I'm not trying to dig into their personal life, but if something is, you know, needs to be talked about, we can talk about it. And so, um, you know, it's honestly one of the reasons I wrote, wrote the newest book is because, um, I can, I do like a lot of like veering and tweaking with people's like mental approach to things you know in and in and out of the gym but um you know like john like you said we can't control their lives um you know we can do little tweaks and you know uh perception shifts but um i i the more you can kind of build that healthy lifestyle mentality in a person the more effective they'll be both in and out of the gym
0: yeah. And and I, I do want to point out, there's going to be a lot of people listening. They're just starting out. They're probably thinking, fuck, this is a lot of work. Like I just want to collect their data and all this stuff. But if you listen really closely, this is stuff that we all kind of started doing. We all started off. That would have been a lot of work for us when we all started off. I'm going to imagine yeah. it would have been for me. And it was literally learning from failure or getting these aha moments that have kind of gotten us to this point. And, and, Guys, I'm going to have to tutor horns because there's going to be people out there thinking, no, nah, this is too much work. I just want to collect data. If you really look at, you know, Jason's clients, if you look at both of you guys, and like, this isn't an ego thing. This is just a fact. Our clients are some of the leanest on stage. And I would venture to stay, say that a lot of that comes with the way that we kind of tease these things apart and we gather all this data instead of just being a numbers cruncher, because it's kind of like dieting. It's not just, Pete, you've given a great presentation on calories in, calories out, and I talk about it a lot as well. There's hormones in play. There's all these other things that we have to learn about that you really, really need to pay attention to some of this stuff that Cliff, uh, that Cliff and Pete are saying, because it's just not always a, a numbers game. It's, it's not always just data. It's how you take it. And really, everybody is so different, especially males to females and how lean they have to get. So it, that's, that's a good point. Uh, Pete, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that?
1: Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it, it you know, one thing I, I do a lot of times well, I do with all of my new clients is um, I actually do have a Skype call with all my new clients before we get started. Um, before I, we start anything, I, I kind of use it as like a, it can, it, for me, it kind of sometimes can be like a weeding out call. Like, um, like is, you know, what, is this person on the same wavelength as me? Like, is this going to go well? um and and before i we you know we both invest time in each other um and then from there yeah i use email for basically all my check-ins from there but i i, I do usually do an initial call and i, I find that, that that's along the lines of learning more about the person and, and things like that and and getting some initial feel if it's going to be a good fit
0: Cliff, I know when you first started, you would have an initial call with someone after they got their plan. Uh, Do you still do stuff like that? I I don't do that at all. I personally save phone calls myself. And and a lot of that has to do with I've got so many other businesses. I'm just super busy. Um, It's different. Um, My client base is a little bit smaller. So I keep that smaller. Um, but But if I needed to, I would definitely do it. But I don't now. I don't want people getting my phone number. That's the thing. But now we have things like we're using zoom right now. So it's, it, that's a, that's a great thing. Um, Cliff, do you, do you still do anything like that? What are your thoughts?
2: You're about to open a can of worms here with me. Um, (laughs) Okay. So I was talking uh, for those of you that know Mikey Weiss, you know, he's a, he's a client of mine. He's also a coach. Um, And so, you know, I did used to do it and um i used to do more regular phone calls and stuff like that in video chats um and i noticed the correlation that the people that utilized phone calls more did poorly um that they, they absolutely did very poorly um and looking at it it was a combination of a few factors why i think that they usually did poorly um one uh, I have no, as a coach, when I talk to somebody, I have no reflection time to respond to what they're asking me. Um, you know, when they ask me a question, I have to respond right right away. When I read an email, sometimes you guys know this, 60 seconds to reflect can make a massive difference, um, on my response in terms of what I think this person needs to hear to become motivated. What I, what I think is the best approach, training or diet wise like sometimes a 60 second reflection period can make a massive difference and then sometimes i'll say something and i'm like god now do i have to be held to that or can i change this you know um the other thing is that i think that speaking to people um uh natural <clears throat> human empathy kicks in <laughs> and um you know i mean you guys we every coach has usually had some experience of trying to prep their husband or their wife and it is more difficult because you see them going through the process. Yeah. Um, I think it is beneficial, beneficial as a coach to remain a level of objectivity and distance from your clients because I can then say, this is what is necessary without feeling if I'm video chatting with them, I can see how tired their face looks. I can hear how tired their voice sounds and it makes me kind of pull my punches a little bit um and then on the other hand too is i think that um i think that sometimes clients that get really used to um speaking on the phone or on video chats um it becomes too much of a hand-holding scenario and i like to really foster like um uh independence and self-sufficiency in my clients so so um i used to do it um, but then I found, so then I used to do it and I would do phone calls more often in video chats. And then I would, I, I, it, I said, okay, I'll do the initial one and, but no more phone calls. Oh, sorry. One more thing. One more factor is that information is then everywhere. Um, if I'm speaking to a client or if we're doing video chat, some information's in email, some maybe in yeah. text, some's in, our, we've said it before yeah. and then mm-hmm. we have to repeat it it's all over the place.
0: Yeah. You can't remember it. It's not saved anywhere.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I was like, okay, I'll do the initial consult. um, But then it's email straight through and things improved significantly once I did that. Yeah. yeah, But then the problem was I found that some of my clients didn't like that. I did the initial consult and then wouldn't speak to them anymore. Um, So I was like, that's it. Just all email from here on out. And um, man, I, I, I feel like getting rid of regular phone calls and videos has taken my my client results to a new level because um, it was it was without fail I was like man if somebody's calling me a lot or they want to talk a lot I'm like they're I'm not gonna like their results
0: yeah Pete do you have anything else to add on that?
1: No I mean not not really I mean it, it you know I, I, I agree I mean I you know I, I used to also do more, phone calls and video calls during the actual prep and stuff, then, you know, I don't really do that as much now. And I, I agree. The ones who, who were wanting to do more call, you know, outside of the initial call where we're just kind of feeling things out, like the ones who wanted to do a bunch more beyond that, like, yeah, the results were usually worse than, than the ones who were. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And to show you how, to show you how serious I am about this. (laughs) All right. Uh, you know, you guys are two of my best friends. Pete, you're one of my best friends, and I I coach you. We never talk about we never talk about bodybuilding stuff, prep stuff for you on the phone. We never yeah. do it. Um, Mikey Weiss uh, is one of my best friends. I never talk about his diet and training on the phone. I actually coach my brother as well, and the few times he's tried to talk about it on the phone with me, I'm like. Email me. I'm like, don't you dare talk to me about this stuff on the phone. I'm like, because it's just it's bad practice, in my opinion. It's bad practice.
0: Yeah, my my good friend Jason Wells right now um is listening. He's laughing because he knows I'm gonna call his ass out. He (laughs) texts me every day, right? Where he owns the Anytime across town. I own mine. He's part of Fat Muscle. I do his diet, and he knows if he texts me or asks me in the gym anything about his fucking diet. I'm like, email me because I can't remember that. I'm working with 100 people right now. And, you know, the other thing, too, is I found out that when I do call people on the phone, and I do it, I do do it for some people. You know, if I've been working with someone for a a couple years and we need to go over what the next plan is, I need to really talk to them and figure that out. I'll do that from time to time. But you know, with with a hundred clients, for example, if you do it for everybody, you're spent all fucking day on the on the phone, and that's just not that's not our business model. It's just not what it is. So if you do get that, it's it's uh, it's a luxury, and uh, I just ask that you guys don't take advantage of it. So um, the next thing I want to bring up, I'm going to go ahead and get to one of mine. Probably hands down the most important thing I've really learned over the last five years, guys. We've all been, and this this could be a whole episode easily, a couple hours. And we've broken down a lot of this, Jason and I have on the podcast and different episodes with hormones and stuff, but understanding cortisol's effect on the body, you know, things like the thyroid and insulin sensitivity and how hormones play a role in prepping someone, not just the calories and the calories outside. And we've all been aware of metabolic adaptation. We've talked about reverse dynamine. I mean, all of us have been talking about that stuff since probably 2010, maybe even earlier. And we've been aware of it it was really kind of the next level, you know, about four years ago when I really started to pay attention to, I never was one to look at clients labs a lot um, because I didn't want to have to go there and I didn't feel like I needed to. My clients were getting lean enough. They were doing well. Business was good on my end. And for me, it was just the learning point of like, all right, there's another level that I want to take it to. And I want to personally learn from. And that's when I really started to understand the hormones of the body and then once I started to figure out how much cortisol affects the thyroid, how much it affects blood sugar, going you know, by pumping blood sugar up and then insulin goes up and you've got people on lower calories that just can't lose. But, you know, we used to just think, well, this person is just not sticking to their diet. They're not adhering. And I had so many people that I would start to look at that were sticking to the diet that I personally knew I was very close to, but their hormones were fucked and cortisol was high and all these things are out of range. Blood sugar was high that. I started to piece it together. And and that's where, you know, here in the next month, I'm going to give a hormones versus calories in calories out class and through zoom. And it's really kind of helped take me to the next level. And, you know, Jason's not on the episode, but to me, he was probably one of the one, the first ones in bodybuilding that really started to piece it together specifically for bodybuilding. And that's how to understand how to read all that stuff, how to use natural supplementation to help get the systems of the body. I'm not talking about prescription meds or anything like that, just understanding cortisol and how to take time off and all these different things. So if you guys go back and listen to all the prior episodes with cortisol and testosterone, and we're going to have one coming up on estrogen, we broke down the thyroid and how it works. Like all that stuff is super, super important. Um, Guys, do you have anything that you want to add to that? That's one that I want to be real careful with because we could literally spend a whole episode on there and we've kind of, already broken it down all on all the other episodes
2: i mean at least for myself i would say uh for my natural clients i usually only have them get labs if something seems off or too just way too hard um so then i'll be like we need to get some blood work done here just to rule out anything or see if everything is in a good control for enhanced clients, I recommend it regularly. Um, but you know, for the most part, I would say that, well, I, I've been fortunate with a lot of my natural clients, things have run pretty smoothly. Uh, I take a little bit of a different approach uh, than what I, you and Jason do. When somebody seems to be struggling a lot, um, I've often found that uh, sometimes if their labs are a little bit off, the things that tend to be off i feel like i can usually fix through mental tactics um like usually most issues tend to be stress related in my opinion um so i will of course change some diet and training factors but usually i'm like all right you know you're seriously stressed here we've got to work on adjusting your lifestyle a little bit your your mental state Um, and i feel like i can usually get people's blood work back where it needs to be just through Altering that, or food choices. Sometimes, you know, sometimes food choices are kind of the culprit there.
0: Yeah, Pete, do you have anything that you want to add?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree that I mean I I think you know addressing someone's lifestyle, you know what I mean, is is really really important. You know, it it, it isn't. You know, there are there are supplements and there are dietary changes and there there you know are obviously if really bad cases prescription meds that can help stuff, but um, you know, I, I you just look at the medical system as a whole, right. It's, it's very much like reactionary, like let's treat the symptom, but not let's get at the like problem. Right. And so a lot of times the problem is that the underlying issue is I am really, really, my cortisol is really, really high. And I'm really, really stressed out because there's something, some, there's some way how I'm living my life or how I'm coping with that stress. You know what I mean? It, it, it might be the driving force here to all of that being an issue and and i agree with cliff that i i that's something i've definitely become more aware of over the years is how much the psychological side and the the lifestyle side can affect um, a lot of this
0: yeah you know cortisol is enemy number one that's really my my biggest kind of take home over the last five years when i when i wrote metabolic capacity and reverse dieting in 2015 I'd spent, you know, years leading up to that understanding the calories in calories out standpoint. But once I started to see what cortisol actually did to the thyroid, how it raised blood sugar and raised insulin and fucked up insulin sensitivity, it's those people that I would see go through these cycles year after year that it's, it's been fun. It's been fun to kind of fix and help over the last few years, man, there's still a lot to learn. So for me, it's kind of a challenge. It's a learning standpoint, but I've got to say that's some of the some of the hardest shit that there really is to understand and you have to be qualified. I know there's a lot of people out there that, that are trying to take stuff they hear from the podcast and they're trying to go out and fix people and do all the stuff. And they're just, you guys have to realize that it's something that you need to educate yourself on, but you need to make sure that you're ready to actually start applying the stuff, not just regurgitating shit. And I'm seeing that a lot. So I'm careful with that myself. Um, I usually defer to Jason on a lot because he knows more than anybody else I know and people like Vince. Um, But it's something new. Like we're going to see more of it in bodybuilding. And uh, I wanted to bring that up as my point. We've got three more points to talk about. Um, Pete, you've got one that I think is really, really cool. I'm probably more excited to talk about this. Um, Go ahead and talk about your next point.
1: Yeah. So one is asking clients what they're eating to hit their macros. So, you know, it, it used to be like, oh, well, you can eat whatever you want to hit your macros and, and you'll be fine. And, and to some extent that might be the case, but there are a lot of times I see what people are eating um, usually affecting progress. Like it, it's, it, you know, if something doesn't add up, something doesn't make sense. I usually ask people, well, send me, what does each day look like? You know, meal by meal with amounts at each meal. And I start seeing like when they're telling me amounts, they're they're saying, you know, they're not even giving me amounts or it's like a scoop of this. Well, what's a scoop or, or, or a, you know, a, a cup of this. And it's like, well, but the serving size is based on grams or uh, they're measuring meat cooked and counting it as raw macros or um, they're, they're not counting BCAs or EAAs towards calories or you know just on and on and on right like they're not counting vegetables towards their nutrition or they're not maybe not even eating vegetables um or you know I think one of my one of the most common things latent prep is they're eating all like the extras the the sugar alcohols and the artificial sweeteners and and you know all the you know fiber enriched foods that have you know 15 grams of frickin fiber in a serving or something <laughs> uh, and it, like, but all of that stuff adds up, right? You start, let's, let's move back towards, a, you know, that you don't need to have zero of that stuff, but like, let's move back towards mostly whole foods here, you know, especially when food's low, get some of that stuff cleaned up. And it's amazing without even changing their macro numbers, oftentimes just cleaning up, like, where are things being missed? let's, let's get some of those extras out. Like let's, let's eat mostly whole foods again. And, and it just, it, a lot of times that fixes the problem when things don't like, they, they don't make like they they look like they're way harder than they should be.
0: Cliff, I'm going to, I'm going to bring something up real quick. And then I, I know you've got a lot to say on this, but yeah. you and I did a podcast on the old TNT podcast whenever I was still with first form uh, it was back in 2016 And it was flexible versus clean eating. And I remember, you know, Sal and I back in the day, we looked at our episodes to see what the most popular ones were. That Mm -hmm. was the most fucking popular one back then, right? Yeah, it was right in the middle of a lot of the flexible dieting kind of craze. Like 2016 was kind of on its way down. Like it wasn't as cool anymore. Um, (laughs) But we did that episode and we really broke things down. I'm going to be kind of interested to see – if you've changed your approach to any of that, I personally have, so I'm, I'm going to wait. Um, but we've kind of seen it all kind of like you, Pete, with clients. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And if you have made changes, has it you helped know, your clients?
2: I don't remember what I said on that podcast. <laughs> I think enough time has gone.
0: We were um, both pretty open to trying to eat as healthy as possible and just make sure that you hit your macros. And that was the thing. Um, but since this is, that was the TNT podcast, like we still we're talking to a lot of gen pop and stuff like that. And I, maybe I think this is a good place to kind of differentiate the points that we're going to make, right? We're all bodybuilding coaches. Yeah. Pete, we both have some gen Pop. So does Jason cliff. I know you're mostly athletes, but we're talking about elite physique enhancement here. So what are kind of your thoughts on that now? Or do you still feel good with what you said?
2: I, I think I'm still in that range. Like, I, I would say I want to see mostly whole foods, uh, like, real foods. So I think there needs to be, like, a distinction because food classifications are hard because, uh, you know, somebody may get their – you know, you get these, like, protein snacks or, you know, like that. They're like, oh, these high-protein, clean snacks. I'm like, that's still, like, super processed food, guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm generally – not in favor of these health food type snacks um and when i say health food type snacks i mean what i'm saying is like those protein infused treats (laughs) you know that's all they are is they're protein infused candies usually Um, so i'm generally not in favor of those Um, i think you can work in a few things here and there like if you want a bowl of ice cream maybe have it at the end of the day if you have eaten a solid base of healthy, nutritious, less processed foods. Um, you know, and so, sometimes people will say, like, what do you what do you like for a snack or something like that? I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe a few nuts or some raisins or some, you know, dates or something like that, then go with that. Um, uh, but yeah, for the most part, I'm like, let's eat a variety. I'm big on variety with food choices. Um, a variety of vegetables and fruits. Like when I tell people to get their vegetables, what do they do? They eat broccoli. I mean, they eat broccoli. Hey, I had a cup of broccoli with two or three of my meals, uh, you know, for the last year. And I'm like, have you ever eaten a red vegetable? <laughs> you know? Like, do you eat red vegetables? Do you, you know, a red pepper or a carrot or anything like that? Um, so I, I always tell my clients, I want to see as much of a variety of colors and types of vegetables Uh, Pete, you remember the T. Molson group in my last prep, I put all the vegetables that I was eating and people are like, oh God, you know. Uh, And so um, varieties of colors and types of fruits and vegetables, varieties of grains, varieties of meats. I want to see things. I want to see things moving. Um, And then, then if you do that and you want to work in a bowl of ice cream at the end of the day, you know, more power to you. But uh, I think that there's a huge advantage to um, these varieties of nutrients and phytochemicals and things like that.
0: Yeah. It's, um, you know, a a friend of, of mine, uh, he, he's one of the hosts of the excellence cartel. His name's Jeffrey Sue, great coach. Um, he coined kind of coined the term, and I don't know if he came up with it or saw it somewhere else, but he talked about some of these Frankenstein foods. That's what he called them. And that's, you talk about these fiber bombs and like all these different, you know, protein bars and things of that nature. And for a lot of us that are paying real close attention to gut health with clients and trying to correct that, which is one of the hardest things there is, but it's also one of the most important things to be aware of is there's a lot of foods that just don't sit well on people's gut and it disrupts their gut health so much that it it literally fucks up a lot of their hormones and it causes this cascade, which makes fat loss harder. So for me, I don't really try and narrow down a lot of the gut health issues and fix them because it's just not something I'm a hundred percent qualified on but I do go based on a lot of things such as how does something sit on someone's stomach? Do they have a lot of bloat? Do they have a lot of gas? Do they process it good? Um, And then I try and find out what people are eating. And, And Pete, I think you brought up a great point, paying attention to what foods they're eating. So if I've got a client stall out, I tell them to send me, or if they tell me they're backed up, send me a list of the foods you're eating. And I can typically start to eliminate some stuff and get them moving again and a lot of times i'll see usually with guys it's typical tons of red meat tons and tons and tons of meat that just sits in your stomach for so long and they're eating meat at six meals a day and they're having a shake after their workout and their digestion's all backed up and they're they're gassy and stuff like that Um, or the other thing that i've noticed and i'll get your guys's take on this but i've seen people eat so much packaged shit that um whenever we eliminate that, they start dropping again. And here's what I've noticed. The reason is why one inflammation is definitely going to drop. Like that's just part of it. Processed food, sugar, stuff like that. There's a place for it. If you can hit your macros, but if you're doing nothing but eating just so much shit that inflammation's high, it's going to fuck your gut health up. But the main reason I like people to drop a lot of that stuff out isn't because of that, because if it helps them stick to their diet, I'm not going to judge them based on eating that stuff. But there's a gray area with foods and no nutrition label is going to be 100% accurate. I think think the FDA allows somewhere for maybe 20% um, variance in what's in there. So if you're eating a ton of packaged stuff for all your foods and you're off 20%, you really don't know how much you're really eating. And when you're contest prepping, you know, what's in a sweet potato, you know, what's in oatmeal, you know, what's in, I mean, even like cereal, right? Like Fruity Pebbles, that's probably going to be pretty close because there's not a bunch of other protein and fats in there. It's mostly carbs and sugars and stuff. So I've noticed my clients drop well when I start to eliminate a ton of the packaged stuff. What, what are your guys' thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Kind of like I had said before, a lot of times you get rid of a lot of that stuff, and it just seems like you don't even have to adjust their macros. It's just like it, it just yep. starts moving again. But one thing one thing I was going to say too is, it, it seems to it also seems to be helpful. Like when someone's really really hungry at the end of prep, or maybe they're really really hungry way too early in prep, like for where their intake and body fat are, to take a look at what they're eating. Um, I can't believe how common it is. You take a look at someone they tell you how hungry they are and there's no vegetables in their plan they're drinking most of their protein their carbs are coming from things like bread that isn't you know going to be as filling as like oatmeal or potatoes or rice or something like that um and and just getting them to eat some vegetables you know eat a little bit of fruit do um you know eat more of your protein rather than drinking it all you know fit have have some of those higher volume more filling starchy carb sources and and that hunger kind of doesn't, you know, it starts to go away, and they can actually stay a little bit more consistent. Um, because for some people like that hunger is an issue and that that leads to the inconsistency, and then they stop seeing loss. And and so if you can clean up kind of for lack of a better word, clean up what they're eating a little bit and, and add a little bit, you know, point out places like, hey, you could be doing more with what you got your allotment here. Um, oftentimes, that helps when it comes to consistency and, and just feeling more full. Yeah, yeah.
2: anything, anything better, you want to add, Cliff? Yeah, the things that people do to try to avoid hunger and get high, achieve high levels of taste in prep um, are so self-sabotaging, um, you know, and, and I, I guess on the other end, the people that eat pounds of vegetables a day to try to feel full, yeah, not, like, not good either. yeah, you know, um, like, stop trying to get extreme volume or extreme taste, like, you need to stay in that middle ground. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think it's just a matter of, um, e- eat a balanced diet. I think if each person really reflects, they really know what a balanced diet
1: is. <laughs> you know what I
2: mean? I, I think most, at least most competitors do. Um, and, and if they do that and just accept what hunger, accept that they can't have super sweet things in prep all the time and you can't have a full stomach all the time, if you accept those two things, you're actually going to find a middle ground that usually feels the most comfortable.
0: Yeah, I agree. One other thing, and then I'm going to get to my final point and then Cliff will finish up with you. One other thing I'd like to point out too is, you know, back in the day when kind of the clean versus flexible dieting debate started, I don't know, maybe 2010 it, for me anyway, when I started to notice it, we heard a lot of people say, listen, clean foods, like as long as you eat clean foods, like you're going to drop no problems. If you quit eating packaged stuff, you're, you're going to get better fat loss, cleaner fat loss, like all this stuff, right? Um, and that's definitely obviously not what we're saying. I think people are educated enough now after 10 years, they understand that. But, but from the inflammation standpoint, one of the biggest changes I noticed too, when I clean people's diet up, um, even if it's not until peak week, is is exactly then it's peak week, and I'd be curious to see if you guys kind of do this yourselves. I like to drop out as many sweeteners as I can, as much processed foods as I can during peak week. And you know, back in the day, Cliff, I remember you and I were talking about it somewhere. Maybe it's a Facebook Live or something, or maybe it was at the Physique Summit. I don't know. And we just saw we were talking with someone, and I think Noah was on a podcast. It was on Mike Newman's podcast way back in like 2012. <laughs> and Ben Escrow was on there and we were all kind of talking about it and someone said there's really no research to prove that if you cut out things like monsters and sweeteners and all this that you're going to tighten up and I remember you kind of pointed this out and I was seeing the same thing you said no but anecdotally I'm seeing a drop on the scale I'm seeing them visibly tighten up and I'm seeing a drop on the scale and what I attribute that now that I know how the body works is we're seeing a huge drop in inflammation, like a huge drop. Because how many people are, were pounding Walden syrup or using, you know, four Splendid packets on oatmeal twice a day and in their coffee to kind of curb hunger and drinking Diet Cokes and like all these different things and sweetened water and amino acids and like when you eliminate all that stuff it's not really eliminating a lot of calories, but it's eliminating a lot of inflammation. And I do that with all my clients to tighten up. I guys, I normally will see a, a maybe a two, three pound drop. If they're a larger individual women, I'll see a, a pound or two sometimes. Um, is that something that you guys are, are still keen on as well?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. You know, you, you, and I still do see those big drops. And like you said, inflammation and, you know, newer research has actually come out showing that like a lot of sweeteners and stuff like that will, um, impact um uh gut bacteria yeah and so you know i think that i think that once again moderation you know a few splendas probably won't hurt but you know when you're loading it in onto everything that you eat then you're probably going to have have a bad time you know and um you know i i like i always say well two things one i remember that conversation now that you mentioned it and they're like well there's no reason to pull it out and i'm like well, if you're not willing to go a week without sweeteners, then do you you really, are you really strong enough to have gotten on stage at your best? You know what I mean? Like if a week without sweeteners is your tipping point. Um, And then the other thing is that um, if you wait, you know, we all see things going through this process. If you're a competitor, when you go through a process, you see certain things. When you're a coach, you put your clients through a process, you see certain things. If you are waiting to act on those things that you see until you see a study on it, you're usually late. Like it's just the way it goes. Uh, The reason most people test things in a, in a, in a scientific uh, setting or a clinical setting is because somebody saw something happen in real life and says, we should test this. So, um, you know, especially in in a sport as competitive as bodybuilding or, you know, most, most sports, um, the testing comes after the usage.
0: Yeah, and yeah. who better to talk about that than than you, Pete? I mean, you're directly involved in research. Yeah, no,
1: that's that's definitely true. I mean, you see, I mean, like like refeeding the refeed study, you know, and competitors came out like last year, like the first one showing benefits. You know, Bill Campbell's lab, um, and and people have been using refeeds and stuff in bodybuilding for years. And um, but I was going to say too, with that weight drop the last week, if you combine like getting rid of like some of those extras, the sweeteners and things like that, usually you. A lot of times, at least in like the last day or two, I a lot of times keep the food like volume pretty low, the residue pretty low, fiber fairly low at the end. And so that overall like mass in their, you know, food mass in their GI just goes down, right? You're not taking the same volume. And um, you combine that with cutting all the stuff out and, and yeah, you see a pretty decent drop in weight all the time. And um, yeah, that the Reducing the food mass too, like that's that's a trick I use a lot of time. You, there's actually been a study on it where you can use that in like a power lifter or someone that needs to make weight, where you you just stick to really low residue food and get you know their calories down that way to decrease you know mass in their gut. And they lose a little bit of weight and and they don't sacrifice like
0: energy intake. No, I agree. Agree 100%. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get to my last point here. And then Cliff, we'll go ahead and finish up on yours because that, that'll be kind of a fun topic to talk about. Um, my last one is, is kind of a simple, boring, easy one. But now that I own a supplement company, I'm extremely aware of this. And I've noticed more. I guess here's my learning point. I've had to follow up more. To make sure my clients are taking the basic supplements possible uh, for their prep because guys this is elite physique university this is not just a gen pop hey let's drop a few pounds podcast this is for people want to be the leanest most muscular pop uh, possible so we take things to the extreme and supplements are thought of as extreme but the basic stuff out there whey protein creatine multivitamin like these types of things Are So important. And I can't tell you how many clients when I followed up, like I'll write a peak week, and I see it a lot in women still, um, where I say, hey, don't pull your creatine out during peak week. (laughs) That's one of the, and they're like, hey, I haven't been using creatine this whole time. I'm like, I fucking told you when you started prep, like it's right there on your sheet. Like, it's like, here's the link to it and everything, right? Like, okay, if you don't want to buy mine, but buy some, like, I don't care, just (laughs) take it. Um, and I know I've got ladies listening that are my clients right now. They're like, "Oh, this motherfucker's calling me out." Well, I didn't say your name, but you know, you know who I'm talking to. I've had to really, really follow up with people because they're leaving a lot on the table. You know, if somebody hasn't, if I've been working with someone for two years and they haven't been taking creatine, like that's the one percent, two percent advantage that you just left off the table. And Cliff, I remember when we talked about supplementation at some point. I think one of your things was like being a natural bodybuilder you have to really really take advantage of all the tiny tiny little one percent advantages that you can get to add up over time um are you guys having a problem with with clients and make sure they're taking those basic supplements or, or are you what are you saying
2: you know i still get clients that don't take creatine and i i don't understand it's so cheap and it's proven safe not only is it proven safe like the newer research is coming out showing that it's super helpful for your brain. Yeah. Um, and uh, even I saw a study that shows that it might help uh, with depression and mood and things like that. So, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know why the reluctance to actually use creatine. But no, I, um, yeah, the one thing I always tell my clients is like, you don't. I'm not I'm not going to make you take any supplements. That's completely up to you, but you need to realize that you are leaving something on the table with certain supplements. So, you know, I, I think that I'm going to just, I'm going to make sure that they know what they're, what they're leaving behind um, if they don't, you know, don't take advantage. And so, yeah, I, I I am still shocked at how often people say, well, I haven't taken creatine the last year. And I'm like, why, what, what is the reason here? Um, no, I I'm right there with you.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, or it's the, the, when should I cycle off creatine or do I, do I need to cycle this and load it and stuff? And no, like no evidence really of, of that. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things too, that, you know, people don't realize that you, you store up creatine in your body and, you don't have to cycle off of it at all i don't i don't think i've gone without it unless i just got bored and didn't want to take it and just got burnt out you know but even then it would only be for a week or two at a time you still got some creatine built up i can't remember where i read that it takes if you're taking five grams a day you're probably saturated it you know three or four weeks probably i can't remember pete you might know yeah Um, four
1: weeks if you're taking something like that yeah
0: yeah. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things. I just, that was my point. Now that I own a supplement company and I'm very extra aware of it, I'm like, what the fuck? You're not, you're not taking a, a multivitamin. Like you're not. So it's just one or, of those or things. Or like vitamin
1: D if you're living Like, <laughs> I mean, that it's the most common micronutrient deficiency in the U S and it's most of us this time of year who live way up North, like I do, who see, I mean, I guess I walk my dog in the sunlight, but I mean, you know, when you're bundled up and your face is the only thing that sees sunlight, I can't imagine, you know, especially with the sun angle that I'm getting a whole lot of vitamin, natural vitamin D production.
2: Vitamin D is a,
1: vitamin D is a
2: massive one. That's a great one.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's so cheap, especially if you get, and I'm not trying to sit here and plug my stuff, but it's medical grade. It's like 24 bucks and it'll last you. It's P it's the same stuff you've been taking because you live up in the, in the tundra up there and it's dark. (laughs) Um I mean it lasts like 3 months for like 24 bucks but don't get the cheap cheap shit but yeah it's one of those things people just they just don't realize but I I digress. Cliff, let's go ahead and finish up on your last point. This will be a fun one because I I've got personal experience with this and Pete, I'd like to see what you think about it personally and from a scientific standpoint. So go ahead, Cliff well um you saw me
2: do a talk on this at our physique summit a few years back on remember I did that talk on the evolution of things I changed over the years right um, and uh, one of them so I, I was pretty on board with uh, power building you know powerlifting, bodybuilding hybrid training um, probably back in 2012 2013 what was the
0: name of your programming was it powerpoint Block power block,
2: power block, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I liked it because I it, the the rationale seemed sound to me at the time was you get stronger and then you can get bigger. Of course, you know that's I mean that's not a that's not false, <laughs> you know. Um, right. But uh, the problem being that a lot of compound movements are, I would say, jack of all trades, master of none, you know. Um, especially deadlifts. Um, and uh, so I got, and, and then, so the, I kind of started to veer away from like these heavy compound movements because they were also so taxing on your nervous system. You you just get run down. Um, I mean, do do a, a couple, few heavy sets of deadlifts at the beginning of your back workout and watch how much the rest of your back training right. suffers. Um, so then I was like, well, I backed off some of those and I was still doing like heavy heavy you know four five six rep sets now i'm still advocating for those but over the years i've actually come to value high rep and ultra high rep sets uh, significantly more than heavy sets now it sounds bad to people because when you look at the research on high rep sets um you need to go almost to failure or at failure in order to achieve the same level of muscle growth Right. Um, so, people are like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. Now, when I say high rep and ultra high rep, I mean, you know, 15, 20, and 30 rep sets. Um, I include a lot of 30 rep stuff in my, in my programming. Um, Me too. And people are like, why are you doing that? Um, and I was noticing people that inherently did a lot of those things, they, they improved really quickly. So the way that I've sort of identified that as a possible mechanism for why people, and, and by the way, the people that I know that do a lot of ultra high rep, they're not taking all these sets to failure. Um, they are usually stopping a few reps short. Um, but the, so I actually looked and tried to think of what the mechanism could be. And I actually kind of found the answer on my own body. <laughs> uh, my triceps are my best muscle group. Um, and I don't do anything special for them. And they're not even particularly strong. The thing I do is I feel them when I train them, they, I feel them very easily. And I was like, why do I feel them? And I thought I played basketball for the first 20 years of my life. Everything in basketball is a tricep extension. You dribble, you straighten your arm, you shoot, you straighten your arm. It's all tricep extension against practically no weight. Um, but repeated action allowed me to develop a better mind-muscle connection, if you want to call it that, uh, ability to activate and engage my triceps. So then when I um, get into the gym with moderate or heavy weight uh, loaded on the bar, I can perform that exercise and make sure that it is 100% doing the job. There's no other muscle groups taking over. There's no momentum. It's all triceps for me. So I see that same thing. Um, whereas I used to say, and I think a lot of people still say when you have a weak muscle group, they're like, train it heavy and train it hard. And I'm like, we need to train it light and learn how to squeeze this area. Because usually whenever, um, somebody can't, they have an underdeveloped muscle group if I ask them if they feel it when they're training it, not usually to the degree of other of other muscle groups. So I went the other way with it. The rationale used to be get stronger, and then it'll carry over into the more moderate rep ranges. That strength will carry over. But then I'm like, if you can't feel a muscle group working all that much, it's hard to get stronger. The, the auxiliary and surrounding muscle groups usually get stronger, not your weaker one. So now I've gone the other way with it. Um, let's use the high reps and develop the uh, capacity for activation and then carry it over into the lower reps. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does a hundred percent. And you know, I want to kind of jump in here next because you and I talked a lot about this. I had something happen with me in 2016. So I was traveling all the time, every week up to first form at the time, doing the podcast, business was growing. We had the physique summit. Like I was at an all time high busiest. So what I wanted to do with my training was I still stuck to the push pull leg split, but I used to have heavy days in there. So my heavy days would be, you know, six reps or less. And then my other day would be more of a hypertrophy rep range, you know, 12 reps higher. What I did was I took all my training and went a hundred percent to 20 and 30 reps on every single set. Every time I trained and my thought was, I just want to do this because one, it's faster. I'm busy. Two, I just want to maintain my physique. And that's what I thought was going to happen at the time. My, my diet nutrition stayed on point. like It just was the nothing changed but my training. And I had a DEXA scan done, totally not prepared for this. And then a year later, later, I went to Dr. Chad Kirkzik's um, lab and had it done at, at Lindenwood. And my damn DEXA, like nothing changed but my training. My DEXA looked like a fucking before and after picture. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And it showed eight pounds of lean mass added. Now, when I did it, I made sure to do it on the exact same day, four days after my high carb day, I wasn't carved up or anything like that. First thing in the morning, no food or water with both of them. And I was almost blown away that at that point I could gain muscle like that. So Cliff, you and I had a conversation. I said, hey man, like help my bro mind figure out what's going on here. I've got some thoughts. And kind of what we came up with, and this is what I believe, is multiple things were happening. Um, there was a lot more cell swelling. This was kind of your idea. You said there might be more cell swelling going on. So the muscle is actually having to swell so much more. And that makes sense. So, you know, whenever you train to get a pump and you get massive cell swelling, your your muscle thinks that there's something going on. So it has to try and grow and get bigger to protect itself. That's my theory on that. Um, so you thought there might be some massive cell swelling going on. And then the other thing was, you know, whenever I actually did figure out volume, which is reps times sets time weight, you know, I don't normally do that. I just count my sets. But when I figured up my total volume, and I was training to failure at 20 to 30 reps, by the way, my total volume was higher. So it was faster. It was easier on my joints and tendons. And I put on a bunch of muscle doing it when I was just trying to maintain that's when I became a big, big believer in the higher rep ranges. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I know too there, I mean, there's evidence cause I, yeah, I'll do a lot. I don't, I don't do a lot below eight reps anymore myself just cause of joint issues a lot of times with it. But um, yeah, I, I still, there's some evidence that training a variety of rep ranges might be better than training always in one rep range. And so part of the reason high reps might be a good thing is because it's different than what someone's been training. um, And, and, you know, you're getting that variety. And so, you know, in someone's program, you know, I might have some movements where they're doing six, eight reps, some where they're doing the 10 to 15 or 10 to 12 or whatever. And then others where they're doing 20, you know, or, or more, Um, you know, and, um, and, and getting that variety of rep range. I mean, I think there's definitely some, at least some evidence in the literature that that might be beneficial. I think, I think the proposed mechanism, at least uh, there's a bunch of them, but one of them might be that you're training different fiber types, you know, different types of training stimulus that you might get more complete growth. Um, again, I, more research is needed, but I mean, there's at least some evidence that like, Hey, maybe you should be varying your rep ranges some in your training. So yeah, I I don't see why, you know, I think it could fit into that as well.
0: Yeah. These days I like to personally recommend, um, at least two different rep ranges. I like to recommend it for bodybuilding. I'm talking about bodybuilding specifically a 10 to 15 rep range one day and then a 20 to 30 rep the next. And I've seen personally some really, really good results with my clients over the years, uh, not really going heavier than 10 reps. Um, there, there are a few here and there, but for the most part, I, I lump people into those rep ranges. And then I, I raise volume per body part to try and bring those body parts up. Um what else yeah, do you guys and, want to talk? And, yeah, go ahead. And that isn't to say I never use heavy,
2: heavy rep, you know, low reps, heavy weight. Um, I just use it much more sparingly. Whereas I used to use it as like, I used to use it as like the primary component to training for people. I've backed away to where it's a minimum effective dose
1: type of deal. Well, and and two, you were talking about, you know, deadlifting first on back day. I mean, I'll still throw deadlifts in people's plans and stuff, but a lot of times it'll be later or at the end of their back day, you know, not at the the start, you know. So, you know, if, if someone's training back and buys, we'll do their rows and pull downs first, then maybe we'll deadlift and then do biceps, you know what I mean, after that or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't usually have, I depends on the person's goal, but for a lot of clients, I don't have, you know, I'll push deadlifts later in the workout. Um, or, or just in general, use some of that higher up stuff You know, for example, like on an RDL, if someone has a hard time feeling their hamstrings, a lot of times if you have them do some like sets of 15 or something like that on a ham curl first and then go, you know, do your, your RDLs, you know, for eight or 10 reps or something, they probably feel it a little bit more. Yeah.
0: Pre-exhaustion.
1: Yeah.
2: In my opinion, if somebody's having a hard time engaging with a muscle group, I mean, give them a few sets of 20 yeah. before you go into sets of six or eight. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be night and day right there.
0: Yeah, yeah 100%. Guys, this has been a, a fun episode. If you check out the show notes, I'm going to have a link to Cliff and Pete's information, their websites, the book they've written, Bodybuilding, um, their emails, the whole nine yards. So be able to – that way you guys can hit them up and ask them any questions you have. Or if you want to talk to them about – um, them coaching you because they are both taking on clients. So you'll have all that information in the show notes. Um, guys, it's been a fun two-part episode. Cliff, I know we're going to have you back on. You've got your new book that you've just finished. It's not out yet. Um, you haven't said what it is 100% or the title, but I do want to get you on to kind of do a review of that. When Do you have any idea when that might be done?
2: Um, it's in the editing process right now. So I guess it depends on how... How many typos I had, but but, uh, no, I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping hoping to still get her out sometime in the March timeframe. You know, depending on what we need to do, Um, but yeah, it is going to be purely every approach that I use in terms of mentality for myself, my coaching you know, everything that I, I, everything that I utilize. So um, I, I, I keep telling people, I think people are gonna, I think when people read the book, some people are gonna love it. Some people are gonna hate it because I think it's um, some things in there are completely opposite of what most people are told or think is effective.
0: Uh, Pete, what what about you, man? What's what's, uh, what's the what this next couple months look like for you? I know you and I have a speaking engagement, the Fat Muscle Academy that I'm trying to get a date locked down for with everything. Um so I know we'll have something like that coming up at some point this year. What what do you have going on? Anything cool?
1: Uh, I mean, Cliff and I have another speaking engagement. I don't know how much we can talk about it that we're we're doing at some point here this spring. Um and then I mean, other than that, really just, you know, I'm excited for like, hopefully a a contest season that lasts from like March to November this year, you know, where, where I have clients competing throughout the year and we don't have what happened last March where everyone was getting ready for shows and and the world shut down, you know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to getting, I got to a good amount of shows last year. I think I got to nine or 10 shows throughout the year, but, um, but it was all the later part. It'll be nice just to have a full year like usual.
0: Yeah, you and I are road warriors. We're always constantly on the road with our clients. And Cliff, you normally are too, but with health and everything the last couple of years, but um, I'm I'm looking forward to a full schedule this year. And then finally, the last thing, Jason and I um, have launched Elite Physique University Seminars next date. It's going to be in Tampa. We're very, very restricted on tickets. So I'm going to have that in the show notes. It's a two-day format. We've got super VIP tickets. It's Jason and myself going over a lot of really, really good topics. Um, Cliff, you and I have the physique summit conference that we were trying to nail down for Tampa, but we've got to wait till these, as you know, um, our listeners have been asking about it. When are you guys going to have the physique summit back? Well, to have 10 people involved in a conference, we've got to be able to sell enough tickets for it to financially make sense. And there's still just restrictions. So with that being said, Jason and I are going to do the elite physique university seminar, um, we'll be be able to sell that out, but we just can't, we need to be able to get enough people in there for the summit. So we're watching for that. Um, I'm hoping maybe this fall. So that, that'll be our our next update on that. Guys have anything else you want to add before we shut it down? No, I think I'm good. No. (laughs) All right. For myself, Cliff and Pete, we're out of here. See you guys.